Let's return once again to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 19 through 25. I thought perhaps we might jump into chapter 4 tonight, but I felt the Lord put on my heart that we just need to consider some things further in this third chapter. So let's look at chapter 3 of the book of Galatians and read verses 19 through 25 to begin with. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And so we'll pause there and we'll bow our heads once again. Heavenly Father, we are grateful always, Lord, for the word that you give. Father, we're grateful for the strength and the encouragement we can find even in reading familiar things or things that apply perhaps to other people more than to us. I thank you, Father, that we can glean from all of your word encouragement, strength, understanding, peace, Father, so many things. And I ask that you would help us tonight, Father, again, help us to be attentive, strengthen us in this midweek lesson, Father, as we consider your word, help us to take strength and joy from it, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last two weeks, we, well, we considered essentially the draw to the law by those who are under it. You know, it's not lost on me, saints, I'll just throw this in for free from the outset. Wednesdays are difficult, and I understand certainly it's hard in the middle of a work week to come and listen uh, to a lesson and consider a study of things that don't always just pertain 100% to us. I thought a number of times, the law, the law, the law, the law. I wonder who in our meeting is struggling with the law right now, and I (laughs) I don't know that there is a single person that is. But I am grateful, I am grateful that, as I just mentioned a moment ago, that the Lord works in His Word, strengthens us by His Word in His dealings with other people, and we can take, well, take what He says, regardless of the subject, and be edified by it, be encouraged by it, be strengthened by it, as we see that He deals with us in similar ways as He has to others. And if you are struggling with the desire to cut bacon out of your, out of your diet, well then, it's for you as well. That being said, we've been considering, as I said a moment ago, that the draw of the law of putting oneself back under this bondage, under this yoke, by those who aren't under it. And if you've accepted the Lord Jesus, by all means, you can be sure you are not under the law. Now, we looked at a couple of different reasons, again, over the last couple of lessons. We considered that people have believed that simply because it's in the Bible, since it's in the Word and it says, do this, do this, do this, well, then it has an application to me. And, well, you have to consider the context and the details behind those directions we understand. Galatians 2.16, again, the theme of this, chat, of this book, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, 
No flesh shall be justified. This is our context, not Israel's context in the time of the Exodus, not Abraham's context in the time of the promises. Not, not, this is our context. This is us. We aren't justified uh, by the law. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, people have believed incorrectly that it will somehow enhance their righteousness to put themselves back underneath the law for the sake of that obligation. Galatians 3.3, 3, Paul made it plain. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Uh, well, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> He said, are you so foolish, he goes on in verse 3, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? A rhetorical question. No, you aren't being made perfect by the flesh. You are being made perfect by walking in the spirit, certainly. There is no enhancing your righteousness by going back under this yoke uh, that these ones are mystifying you with bewitching you by, taking your eyes and distracting them. And so we kind of looked at, speaking of mystifying, last week we considered the, well, how mystical things can feel just simply because they're old, because they're ancient, because it's what people, what they had always done. You see these people of some stature, these Pharisees and these religious authorities back in that day, and here they are coming, having an understanding of Jesus, and yet still pushing this old law, this old ancient, being taught out of the old scrolls and those sorts of things, that there might be interest there. People have believed incorrectly that the old ways, uh, once Jesus came and, well, put away the law, fulfilled the law, that somehow, that, well, that it's somehow for us simply because it's sovereign in its ancientness, that it feels holy. And so we considered last week, Galatians 3.5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, that being God, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. If you need a doctrine to be old, to be credible, there's nothing older than grace by faith. It predates the law. It predates any other doctrine. It was offered to... Well, Adam and Eve in the garden, it was offered to Noah and all of those ones in the world. It was offered to Abraham. It was accounted to him for righteousness simply because he believed. The law cannot justify. The law cannot sanctify. The law cannot enhance your faith, cannot enhance your righteousness. Any of these things we understand. Uh, I trust we understand. And so many people before us have understood, and yet they still pick up that yoke and want to hoist it around like, like Rocky, you know putting on that yoke up there in Russia somewhere. It just it doesn't make any sense for us. Uh, Paul pointed out Abraham uh, because there was such a, well, an affinity to Abraham. There was such a pride, not only, not only in the law of Moses, but in the bloodline. Somehow there feels that there's a justification because of, well, we were, were Jews, you know, not the Galatians, but the ones who were trying to teach them and push them into occupying and undergoing the law here. He pointed out Abraham because that's what they said. Listen to us. We are the authority. We have the bloodline. We have the understanding. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. John the baptizer was speaking there in regards to Abraham and in regards to the bloodline and the rightness of the Jewish bloodline simply because of the blood. Uh, you can't attach justification. You can't attach righteousness. You can't attach goodness to 
the religion of that bloodline simply because of that bloodline anymore. Again, Jesus put it away. Um, uh, John the baptizer said in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. You ever have someone tell you when you were a young person, Do you know who my dad is? Or maybe when you're an older person, Do you know who my dad is? My dad built this place. My dad, well, we, we grew up in a small school and one of our friends was, well, his dad was a big wig at the, well, the, the big factory that was in, the only thing just about that's in Kingsville. And he never said it to us, but there was always this understanding that, you know, amongst all these country kids, this one guy and his brother and his sister, their, his, their dad was the boss of a number of people who worked at that aluminum castings place. Do you know who his dad is? And so you didn't push him around. He was automatically, he had some clout there. Do you know who my dad is? These ones said, we have Abraham as our father. And John the baptizer said, I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. That blood doesn't mean anything. The ancient bloodline, the traceable all the way back, mattered nothing to God for justification and sanctification after Israel said, we don't believe in this man, Jesus. They were peeled off, and there was a spot open on that olive tree. That is faithfulness, the root being Jesus, and we were now grafted in. We're blessed along with believing Abraham, it says, merely by faith, because we believed. Simple. Grace by faith is just as true now, just as true in the days of the law, just as true in the days of promise, just as true in the, in the other days. Grace by faith was always the center. There was just a means by which it was delivered, and law was the deliverance for that time, and it is no longer. If you turn to Romans chapter 4, we're going to be in Romans a couple of times tonight. If you haven't read the book of Romans, particularly as it relates to Galatians, you'll see there's a lot of expounding in in the book of Romans on the things that Paul is speaking to the Galatians about. Well, Romans has been called, I don't know, Paul's masterpiece, Paul's manifesto for the Christian life. It's been called a number of different things, and it does elaborate on some things. And this concept of our justification by faith, not by anything else, is one of those things that he elaborates on. Romans 4, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, not of the blood. Not of the line, not of the Jewish lineage, but of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Listen, I've said it a number of times. I know I might sound like a broken record, but how you can read Galatians and back it up in Romans back it up in Peter, back it up throughout all of what we read about Abraham and what he did and how the Lord treated him and somehow believe that the yoke of bondage that is the law is for us in any means, by, by it, for any way, for any purpose. I don't understand it. But there it is. There it is. And so we're just going to close out this third chapter here, uh, beginning there in verse 19. And just kind of go step by step as we go down and just finish this third chapter and what Paul's trying to say there. And in chapter 3, there in verse 19, we see him asking or answering 
asking and answering, I suppose you could say. Why would we give, well, why would the Lord give the provision for this law then? Why, if it's not for us in this day, why would he give this provision? Why was it presented in the first place? And of course, we know the answer, certainly, but he says, what purpose then does the law serve? And we understand that, again, it was an instrument. It was an instrument for a set time to prove a specific point in a specific age, a specific context for a specific people. Uh, getting ahead of myself, it was not just to define sin, but it was to define what the sinner was. It was to define the sinner. He goes on to say it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The seed being the Lord Jesus. To whom the promise was made, that being Israel. That was when those promises were made initially. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And that mediator was Moses way back there in the days of the times of the Exodus. When I was in school, when I was a younger, younger person, uh, we had something called the MMATs. I know that it's since changed since my kids were in school and perhaps it's changed today. I don't know. The Missouri Mastery and Achievement Test, they still have those? Anything like that? Yeah, what it was was a standardized test where they give you the test and you're supposed to test out in reading, in math, and all these things. Then at the end, they give you the bad news, you know, of where you fall. <laughs> it was, to me, it was perhaps bad news, where you fall in the percentile of, of those kids in Missouri. And it essentially defined and, and quantified, this is the knowledge in this subject, this is the knowledge in this subject, this is the knowledge in this subject, that you have to have an understanding for to be defined as a fifth grader, to be defined as, as a, a passing or a, a, an, I hate to say it, but an adequate sixth grader, fifth grader, fourth grader. I think we took them every other year. I could be wrong. I don't remember. But there's a curriculum that was established. And when you took the test, in all honesty, I think I actually did decently on the test. And they tell you, you fall in where, well, you're in the 85th percentile. That means that 84% of the people did well, didn't do as well as you did on this specific subject. And it helped you understand what defines a fourth grader, a fifth grader, a sixth grader. This is the body of knowledge that is there. You need to know your times tables. You need to know your division, long division. You need to know this and that and this and that. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, Romans 3.20 says. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law offered a standardized test, I guess you could say. Or maybe just the standard. It said, this is the body of understanding and knowledge. These are the standards. These are the requirements. And what it did was it essentially defined anyone who didn't meet those requirements as the sinner. As the one unable to make one righteous. And so you understand it didn't just say, this is what sin is, this is what sin is, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin. By taking this box and attaching it to somebody and them going, I can't pick this up. That's a sinner. That's one who is unrighteous. And there's only one person who could pick up the box. There's only one person who could pick up that crate that is the law. And we know that that was Jesus. What the law did with all of its different requirements, whether we understand them or not, whether, whether we can look at it and say, why this? Whether we can understand it or not, what the law, each one of those individual things did, and each one of them have their own meanings and their own illustrations, 
What each one of them did is compiled together, demonstrated that no one's capable. No one's able. Not only that, not only did it define what a sinner was, it defined the tendency to sin. It demonstrated the, the desire to sin and the incapability of, of providing. It outlined the mastery that was required for holiness that nobody had. Again, as I always say, no one not named Jesus. It made plain that the mastery of that law was impossible. And then it offered the opportunity for those ones who were under that law to look at that, realize how heavy that chest of requirements was, and say, well, I can't do this. I, I can't do this by myself. There's no way that I can accomplish all of these things. Now, the short-sighted Jew would say, well, I just got to take another trespass offering. I just got to uh, make sure that I get my lamb without blemish and all of those things. Just like we have short-sighted believers now. I need to be good for the Lord. I need to be good for Jesus. Amen, you do. You should. But the long, the far-sighted believer recognizes in Scripture, why does the Lord ask me to be godly? Why does the Lord ask me to walk in the Spirit? Why does He ask me to do these things that He does? And you recognize, well, we talk about it all the time. He asks us to do such things so that we can win Christ. We understand this. These ones back in the Old Testament, when they were given this chest of requirements, and I keep saying chest, I hope you know I'm being metaphorical. This chest of requirements, holy moly, what is, how am I going to accomplish all this? Again, okay, well, the sacrifices will have to come in for my intentional sin, for my unintentional sin, all of these different things. I, the long-sighted believer, the long-sighted one of faith would recognize there's got to be something more here. There's got to be not only something, but someone more here. There has to be something because the blood of bulls and goats, we know the scripture certainly, but there could have been for that one who would listen and who was seeking the Lord, they could recognize and understand. This can't be all that there is. There's something else that's going to accomplish this for us. You know, they had faith in believing that those ones. The law had immense purpose, not just to show, now oh, you sinned. And to punish one and keep them walking and towing the line. It was to demonstrate to the sinner who the sinner was. And that need, an absolute need for the Savior. So it established that standard. Until the only one who could meet that standard came. It was added because of transgressions, it says there. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law was immense. And it was very specific in its purpose. And it was very, very good at demonstrating that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the law as we go back to our text here in verse 21. Nothing wrong in its purpose. It was a holy thing, a godly thing rendered by the Lord. It says there is the law then against the promises of God because it defines what sin is, because it defines what the sinner is, because it demonstrates how poor we are in our capabilities. No, no, it's not against the promises of God. Certainly not, Paul says. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. It's as good as it gets. Handwritten by God Himself. Presented note for note and wrote for wrote for purpose and for, for intention and all of these things. It could not be any better. The curriculum was perfect. It was presented. He wrote it with His own finger. Presented to the people. And it was carried perpetually throughout the generations. There was... Nothing wrong with it. If it could have been, man, if mankind could have been made righteousness, righteous, this was what was going to do it. Nothing was wrong with the law. It was the standard, and it was a godly standard. 
It was the, well, it was with people, right? It proved what it intended to prove in verse 22. But the scripture has confined or enclosed or hemmed in all under sin. I haven't used the sheep of the Gordoners as an example for a long time. I thought I'd get a lot of mileage out of that, but no, I, I don't. So here you go. They move their pen every three days, Adrian. Three, five, seven, whatever's needed. When they, when they chew the grass down to the nubs, they literally pick up the pen, the electric fence, and they move it to a different, different part of the pasture out there. They enclose them in. Keep them enclosed where they can't get out. Those sheep aren't interested in getting zapped by that electric fence. You go to the zoo. You see an enclosure, right? Well, there's a bunch of monkeys in there, a bunch of gorillas. They all look the same, pretty much. They're all together. Well, let's see. What's always on the side of it? Uh, going joke in the Sinks household is when they were growing up, Dad Sinks would always, wherever they were at, museum, zoo, street sign, whatever. Allie, Allie, come here. Read this. Read this for us. Read this. So she did. She'd go over. Uh, this is, a, let's see. So, mm, Amazon ape. I'm not sure that there is such a thing, but it's an Amazonian ape. Uh, uh, from the genus, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. As it describes what the animal is in that, right? The scripture has confined. The law has enclosed all of us. All mankind inside of an enclosure, so to speak. And there's a sign there, the law, that says, this is a sinner. Everyone. All have well, sin and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no, no, well, in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. Every last one of us have come up short. All of us were put into that enclosure and the law says they can't do this. This is a sinner. This is, these are sinners, all of them. It's a description of that creature. And Scripture has confined everyone under sin. That the promise, here's the purpose for that. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Thankfully, there is a way to step out of the enclosure. All right, there's a means by which we step out. And all of this is reviewed to you all, I'm sure. I'm confident of this. But it's an encouragement to us when we consider and reconsider these things. We aren't able... Well, to beat the sign. It says I'm a sinner. Can I prove otherwise? Can I, can I accommodate that law? Can I take the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. The first one, the fundamental basic ten that everyone posts up. The local Mexican restaurant has the Ten Commandments posted, <laughs> posted up there and on a menu. And it's, everyone knows the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You ever know that the Lord wants you to do something and you say, mm, maybe at another time. Do you know what you did? You broke the first commandment. We put gods before the Lord all the time. It's idolatry. Well, it's, that's, come on, it's not that big a deal, you know. I skip church for, you know. I don't know. If the Lord tells you to do something, if He tells you to go to church for a specific time and you, hey, listen, I'm I'm not dumping on anyone who misses church for this reason or that way. If the Lord tells you to do something in this moment for this specific situation, and I determine not to do it, which I have, and I would imagine you have too, I have put something else before the Lord, and it's a semblance of idolatry. And we've broken the very simplest, fundamental piece of the law. No, we can't step outside of this sign. 
the sign that says, Sinner, we can't step outside of that enclosure. Unless, unless what? We receive the promise by faith in Jesus Christ that is given to those who believe. Jesus, well, he, he put us before himself. Uh, he paid the price, didn't he? He gave us the means by which we could say, okay, he paid this. Well, he, he satisfied all of these, so I can step out of this. <laughs> I can step out of this enclosure. No, the law didn't do anything wrong. It was mankind's issue. The law wasn't, wasn't the, the poor thing. It was us. Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You understand, saints, that He was made to be sin, though He sinned not. He was made to be sin that we might become the righteousness of the Lord, that we might become the righteousness of God and step out of that Enclosure, as it were. Now listen, I've heard different ones say, I'm not a sinner. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a sinner. You know, it, it no longer describes me. I'm not a sinner. Do I sin? Yes. And then they get into semantics and that sort of thing. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And so I, I believe if he's willing to say that of himself, then I better take hold of my own ownership of being a sinner. I still have flesh within me. I still have an old creation. I still have all of these things. Praise the Lord, once I get into heaven and I have that glorified body, sin's no longer going to be with me. I'm not going to be a sinner then. I will have completely left the enclosure. I will be with Him and I will not be a sinner saved by grace. I will be a child of God. 100% new creation, all new. Sin will not be present there. Sin will have been done away with. For now, we do have some understanding of what that is. The Lord having been made sin for us. Uh, I'm grateful for that provision. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, by that new creation that we have within us. For time's sake, I'm not going to take you to Romans chapter uh, 7, but if you look at Romans chapter 7, Paul makes a comparison there. Makes a comparison of, well, a wife being legally attached to a husband until he dies. I guess I will take you there. I'm giving you all the information anyway. Romans chapter 7, let's look at that for a second. Uh, He says that she's bound to her husband as long as he lives and makes that correlation uh, between, well, between us and the law. He says, well, let's just read it there in verse 2. Let's start there. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, brethren, verse 4, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Man, I find that rather... Remarkable. Understand, it says again, you have become dead to the law. The law isn't what was wrong. 
we couldn't accommodate it. This flesh had to be put to death, as it were. That's why we always say, and we know we are crucified with Christ. This flesh had to be, oh, had to be done away with, crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It wasn't that law failed mankind. It was that mankind failed in the law. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus didn't fail. And he came in and he took that thing that made nothing perfect. Hebrews 7 tells us that the law made nothing perfect. And so he said, okay, I will accomplish this and I will perfect them. Starting with the new man. But as we walk by faith, walk in that grace that he has, we can indeed be perfected. We need to be crucified with Christ. We need to be. This flesh needed to be crucified with Christ so that we could be brought outside of that enclosure and given the freedom to walk not by obligation, but by dedication, I guess you could say. Love for him, certainly. Back in our passage, Galatians chapter 3. Paul continues to explain there the role of the law prior to Jesus in Galatians 23 and verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law wasn't intended just to be a death sentence for everyone. It wasn't just supposed to be ah, done, 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 can't do it, can't do it. No, it was a reminder. It was intended to be something that guided his people. It was a reminder. It was a standard. It was a definer of the standard as we consider. And it was a teacher of that standard for those who would look. Uh, that word for tutor, perhaps you've studied out for yourself. It's a Greek term that doesn't just mean a teacher. Not just the, the, you know, the brilliant nerdy guy who knows all of the math that you pay him after, so they should go visit him after school. And you know, he helps you pass trigonometry. It's not just someone who's a tutor who teaches you the academic stuff. There's, a, there's a, well, an element of protectiveness here. It, it's a child nurturer is what it is. It's a child raiser is what that term means. There's a guardianship that's involved. There's a teaching, a guarding. There's a guiding involved in that. Not, just, not, just a, not that there's such thing as just a teacher, but it's not merely an academic teacher. It's someone who teaches about life and protects. The law was such a tutor, more than just an academic thing. It taught men about sin, as we considered a moment ago. It teaches us about the need for atonement. It te- taught them about the need for cleansing from sin. Therefore, the law was our tutor, it says in verse 24, for a reason, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, to point us to the need for that. Again, recognizing how heavy that chest is, recognizing how long that sign with the description of all the failure that we are by ourselves and the need for a Savior. The purpose was simply to point to the one to come and to recognize and hold a mirror and remind people of their need for him. It's to point to Jesus, always Jesus. The only provision that was capable was Jesus, his blood. He's the only way that the sinner would be redeemed and be freed from that bondage that was the law. The law was a tutor, um, but it was only intended to be so for a time, wasn't it? After faith has come, after we join Abraham in believing. Abraham believed God. That was it. It was counted to him for righteousness. Before 
that covenant ratification that circumcision was. He believed before that. Salvation came before. It was just signs and pictures after that. Way before the law took place. When we join into that faith, we are blessed with believing Abraham. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now the righteousness of God at this time... Once Jesus arrived, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Romans 3, 21 and 22. It's so plain, so obvious, so clear from passage to passage, book to book. Testament to testament, pointing to Jesus. This is what was being prepared for. He was the one being prepared for. He satisfied this, so we have no more obligation. We have gratitude, we have faith, and we have a desire to serve and to please and walk in the fear of the Lord because we love Him and we fear disappointing. We fear missing out. We fear not winning Him. We fear all of these things, not retribution, not thunder punching from the Lord. We don't fear these things. We fear disappointing and well, not walking in the gratitude and the grace and the provision and the riches that he offers to us that are so justified and so right and so purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. Why are we spending so much time talking about the law? Three weeks now. Three weeks at least. And, and we talked well, preparatory stuff as we began. The law isn't for us. And again, you might not be struggling with it. But even if you haven't been tempted to take it up for yourself, even if you have a solid understanding of why the law isn't for us, even if you have no desire at all to put yourself underneath that, it's still, well, it's still a blessing to realize that the same thing that saved people under the law, under all of this that they're getting themselves tied all back up into, the same thing, faith, grace by faith, that we look at today, that we desire today, that we are presented with today, it's the same thing. That purchased their pardon in that day. That purchased their pardon in the age before that. And the age before that. And the age before that. And it's just an encouragement to recognize. At least it is to me. That the Lord had a plan in this the whole time. He had, a, he had it all planned out from age to age. Pointing to Jesus. 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 Non-stop. The provision of the blood of Jesus. And we get to look in hindsight and say. It's done. He pointed to it. Jesus went on the cross. He bled for it. Why in the world am I going to not only not only not put myself under more bondage that they were delivered from in that day, why am I not going to live my life for Him simply because I love Him and I feel gratitude for it? Why am I not going to walk in this grace simply because it is my reasonable service and simply because I love Him so much and I just want to give back everything I possibly can in thanksgiving and in joy and in knowing the freedom that I have. We are blessed saints with the saints of Galatia according to the promise that was pertinent to Abraham, pertinent to Noah, pertinent to Moses, pertinent to every single believer. From now, from today all the way back to the back, it's the same promise. Grace by faith. And we can be blessed with believing Abraham. I'm grateful again for the picture. Struggles, yes, that Galatia had. Struggles and issues that Paul was probably tired of dealing with. 
But man, just reiterating and reabsorbing and reconsidering the things that the Lord has done for us. Made us heirs, not by the law, but according to the promise. Not enclosed or confined under the definition of sin that is the law, but owners of grace. Even now, grace by faith, won by Christ. I'm always grateful to be reminded of that truth. And so we continue to consider that truth. Chapter 4, in earnest. Next week.